All right, good morning, Midtown. Good to see you guys this morning. Y'all can find your seats. Super exciting time of the year. This will be our last Sunday before we have tons of students join us, which that's going to be awesome. Encourage you guys to get involved with Moved In. Um, I know I know a bunch of you guys, but certainly not everyone. I'm the new guy. Uh, Justin Christopher is my name, been on staff for about four weeks now. So just getting started. I'll go ahead and get one thing out of the way for those of you who do, do know me well. Yes, every time I'm wearing pants on Sundays, that means I'm teaching. And if I'm wearing shorts, it means I'm not. So it's pretty much, you know, the way it goes when you're in campus ministry for 20 years, you wear shorts all the time. So this is me dressing up for you guys, uh, really. Uh, we're going to continue in this awesome series that we've started. It's a short, just three-week series, Life-Giving Generosity. We're trying to talk about what God has to say about how we invest our time, our talent, and our treasures to invest in His kingdom and His work. And so today, guess what we're going to talk about? Money. Shut the doors. Wait, we're, we're all right. Okay, Jenny's got the doors. Yeah, you can imagine like the new guy on staff, I'm sitting down with Jake, and we're talking about how we're going to divide up the teaching series, and he's like, yeah, uh, why don't you take this one on money, and then I'll take the rest. Hey, but why are we afraid to talk about money? We should talk about money for certain. I don't know if about you, but kind of grew up in a culture where your parents say, yeah, don't talk about money, politics, or sexuality. Those are like the off subject. Just don't talk about those things publicly. Or maybe you kind of have a, uh, an idea that like money is like secular stuff and church is supposed to be about spiritual conversations and money's not really spiritual. Money's just secular. Maybe you want to go to the Macomb School or you want to go to Wall Street Journal and that's where I get my money advice, but why would I look to the Bible for money advice? And I'll actually say it's quite the opposite. There's 2,350 verses in the Bible about money. 2,350, that's more verses on money than there is on faith and prayer combined. Isn't that crazy? You know, most of the time at Midtown, we just teach through books of the Bible. And if we just started the New Testament and just taught through every single chapter of the Bible, we'd have to talk about money in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and Acts and Romans and 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Philippians, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, 1 Timothy, James, Hebrews, 1 John, and multiple times within those books. So you can't even read the Bible, talk about the Bible, teach the Bible without talking about money. And so what I hope to do today is talk about how money is, is part of our spiritual growth. It's instrumental in our spiritual formation. So I hope to share a little bit about that, primarily talking uh, from a passage that Jesus gave, a sermon in his most famous sermon. Do you know, too, about Jesus, that he spoke about money. If you take all of his parables and his teachings, combine them together, he talked about money 15% of the time. 15% of the time he's talking about money. So we're going to look at several things he said regarding money. Uh, why not I read the passage? Then I'll pray and give you guys a chance to pray quietly yourself. It's in Matthew 6 if you want to follow along. Matthew 6, 19 through 24. Jesus said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, the whole body is full. Within you is dark. If your eyes are unhealthy, the whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. He will either hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Let me pray and I'll give you a chance to pray as well. Father, we thank you that when your word is taught and when we reflect and spend even 30 minutes meditating on it together that you speak. And so we invite your Holy Spirit to come and speak, to use these words and use our thoughts. We invite your presence to, to teach us 
what you have to say about money and eternity, and what you have to say about money in our hearts. I'll give you about 10 or 15 seconds to pray a similar prayer for yourself. Yeah, speak to us today, God. Uh, meet with us as we worship and consider your word in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing I'd like to say is that money's morally neutral. Money's morally neutral, right? You don't see Jesus saying that one thing is bad and one thing's not. He has nothing to say about the actual value of money. Treasures are good. The only thing that matters is where you place those treasures. Do you place them in earthly things or in heavenly things? But money in and of itself is neutral. And really throughout church history, there's been people that have fallen on pretty wrong spectrums of the, of the scale when you talk about money. There's some people who have falsely thought that money is evil and the best way to be close with God and live a holy life is to, not, to have poverty, to be in poverty. And that's just not true. There's equally the other side of the spectrum who would say a real standard or way to measure God's blessing is prosperity. And if you were actually receiving from God and had prosperity, that was a sign of your closeness with God. And both perspectives are wrong. Money's completely neutral. It's all about what we do with it. Where are we storing our treasures, right? And he gives them just two examples, two ways that they use their treasures. They can do it for earthly things or they can store up treasures for heavenly things. So let's talk just a little bit about the earthly things. What does he say about earthly things? He says that moth and rust will destroy it. So these earthly things that we can store up for, they're not going to last. It also says that thieves can break in and steal it. So it's not, that they don't, not just that they won't last. It could be taken from you at any minute. These are the earthly things that we're prone to put our trust in and put our treasures toward and put our money and our affection toward. I tend to look at it like two broad categories. You might call one like possessions and the other pleasures. Possessions would be things like our, our cars, our homes, uh, furniture, electronics, gadgets, tools, shoes, accessories, jewelry, all of collections, any type of thing like that. Possessions that we secretly are hoping to accrue to find some sort of worth or find some sort of comfort or security. Another way you might look at earthly treasures is pleasures. They may not be sporting events, recreation, movies, date nights, food, or maybe it's an attainment of education or status or career. When we start to put our hope and our vision and our focus on the earthly things, Jesus says that's not the way to go, that ultimately those things will disappoint because they won't last and they can be taken at any minute. He even describes it better in another passage in Luke 12. Luke 12, he tells the disciples this. He told them a parable. On the ground was a certain rich man yielding abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. There I'll store up a surplus of grain and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain and laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, that very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Jesus teaches some hard things on money, doesn't he? And if we're, if we're honest, we all kind of fall, have tendencies in one of two camps. One camp would be kind of what I might call the saving camp. And so we don't maybe spend a lot of our money, but if we're really honest, what we're doing in saving is we're, we're tempted to trust in that. We're hoping that somehow in the saving will be our security and we're putting trust in what we can have left over. We see that in this guy. But then there's also another camp that's a spending camp. And so your propensity, your, your tendency is to say, I'm going to spend and try to find pleasure out there and use this money to find the satisfaction in these earthly things. 
And you see in this case, this guy, he's, he's got an excess, and instead of finding something good to do with it and give it away, his first thought is, I need to give more. I need to protect more and build bigger barns so that I have more and more and more. And once he gets to a place of security, he moves to the spending side and says, hey, now I'm going to take it easy. I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. But God says, you fool. This very night, your life could be taken from you. And Jesus does, doesn't waste any time explaining what the parable means. He says it very clearly. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves and is not rich toward God. See, there's two ways to use this money, two ways to use what God gives you for yourself, or can you be rich toward God? And that's what's awesome is that we actually have a way that we can be rich toward God, what Jesus calls treasures in heaven. What does he say about the treasures in heaven? Of them, he says, they cannot be destroyed, and thieves cannot break in and steal that you can actually invest your resources, invest your money in something that will so affect eternity that nothing can hinder it. Isn't that awesome? Wouldn't you want to give and give and give if you knew what you were doing in this moment and this giving could affect forever, that nothing can change it? I don't know about you, but for me, that whole idea of thinking about eternity has been life-changing. Invited to this Christian camp, part of my salvation story. Um, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I, I was 14, and I got invited to this Christian camp. I'd been studying the Bible with some friends for a while, investigating the faith, not really sure. The first few days at the conference, I hated it. I was like, oh, my gosh, why, why am I here? I hate these people. But God suddenly changed my heart. And one day, I'm hearing a guy give a message one of the last nights of this conference. And this sounds silly, but for me, my identity was in trying to find purpose. I wanted meaning in life. That was kind of a broken spot in my heart. And he just did a simple illustration, said, let's, let's put a line right here on the ground, and I want you to draw it all the way up to the sun, however many millions of miles that is. And let's pretend that's eternity, which, of course, it's not because it stopped at the sun. But let's pretend it's eternity. He said, your life on earth is a speck of sand on that, time, on that timeline. Now, what do you want to live your life for, the speck of sand or eternity? And I'm telling you, it sounds silly, but for me, that was what got me saved. I said, eternity, I want to follow Jesus. I'm going to do that. And that was it for me. Or maybe another illustration. Take it this way. What if your boss told you tomorrow that you have to move for, to France for the next six months? So she tells you that you have to pack up all your stuff, or, or you can't take anything with you, rather. She says, you're just going to go, and we're going to get you a hotel, and you can stay there for six months, and we're going to just give you all of your money. We'll provide for you while you're there. You'll get paid there, but you're going to stay in this hotel. What if in the hotel you decided... You know, this is pretty good. I'm going to be here for a while. Why don't I just start buying furniture? And you start buying TVs. And you start buying this awesome art. You start buying all these different gadgets and toys and video games and music equipment. And you pack out your hotel room. Pretty silly, right? Why would you do that when you know you're there for six months? Why would you not take the money they're giving you and continually send it back home? Send it back to Austin. Send it back to Austin. Because you know that's ultimately where you're going to be. This is eternity. This is the way that we're meant to think and what Jesus is trying to get in the hearts of his people, that there's an eternal way that we can invest our money, that things that we're doing right now today can never be affected for the rest of history. Isn't that amazing? It makes you want to give. It makes you want to say, what are those treasures, God? One of the things I love about Jesus is he actually gives some examples of ways that you can use your money. And one of my very favorites, again, Jesus on money, he says some wild things. Luke 16 you, I tell you, use your worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Isn't that awesome? Use worldly wealth to gain friends because that will make a difference for eternity. Jesus is giving you permission to buy off your friends. That's awesome. Like, use your money to buy friends and win people. 
Buy a gift for a neighbor. When your neighbor moves in, buy him something. Don't, you know, buy him a $5 something. Buy him something nice. Bring him something. Throw a house party and, and, and buy the best food and the best drinks and invite people over. Give to a friend's foundation or a startup company to your MC and needs that your friend has an interest in. Pay for someone's counseling that comes to your MC and needs some extra help that they can't afford. Or show up at your MC with food and bless the people that are there. Get season tickets to UT sports and invite me to <laughs> all of them. Like, these are the ways that you can win your friends. Jesus invites you into that. Just this week, uh, Brenda and I bought a $50 gift certificate to Alamo Draft House for our neighbor. Two doors down from us, they've scraped the house, and our, our neighbors next to us are really disappointed by it. And we just know that this is a real hard time for them, and they're going to have about six months of construction and noise. And we just thought, what's a way where we could just do something fun? Use your money to, to, to win people. That'll strengthen our friendship with them. That's what Jesus invites us to do. I love the way that it's talked about in 1 Timothy 6, though. I think it's the most straightforward as Paul's writing Timothy. This is what he says about these eternal treasures. He says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides for everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good and be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures as a firm foundation for the coming age, so they may take hold of the life that is truly life. I love this passage for many reasons. One, I love it because it's a command. Paul's writing Timothy, the leader of the largest church in that time in Ephesus, and he's telling him, you need to command rich people to do this. So should we talk about money in church? Yes. <laughs> in fact, we should command people to give. That's what he's telling him that he has to do. There's no apologies for it. And again, you notice here that there's nothing wrong with rich people. There's nothing wrong with being rich. All he does is give them three warnings. Command them not to be arrogant. Command them not to put their hope in their money. And command them to give. You can be rich. You can have a lot of money. You can have wealth. But don't be arrogant about it. Don't trust in your money. And be generous with all that you have. And, and speaking of world terms, we're all rich. Compared to the rest of the world, we all have so much. So this is very much a command to us. Don't be arrogant. Don't trust in it. Be generous and give. And again, he's drawing out the same contrast that Jesus did. Command those who are rich in this present world to store up treasures as a firm foundation for the coming age. There's a coming age, guys, that has things that will last forever if we invest in them. That should be motivating. What purpose that gives us. Have you ever been like on a vacation, like you're top of the mountain or maybe your feet on the beach or you're out overlooking the lake, whatever your, your favorite spot is, and you kind of kick your feet up? And you say to yourself, this is the life. This is the life. Well, it's not. That there's a, it's not the life. There's a future life. And he says right here that there's a life that's truly life. Now, I'm not saying don't go on vacation and have fun. In fact, this very scripture says God gives us money for our enjoyment. Have fun. Go do fun stuff. Take things in. But there's a life that's not this life. How great is it that we can invest in things that will last forever? That's the opportunity that we have. That's heaven in eternity, or money in eternity. Let's look. Well, let me make one more recommendation. What you can do to invest, these are just a few ideas. Give, give to a missionary. Give to someone who you know is going overseas to an unreached people group. Start giving them money. Find like a, the, your favorite organization that helps with human trafficking and, and start sacrificially giving to bless that organization 
and let them do the work that they need to do. Adopt some world vision children. Adopt people that are in less fortunate parts of the world and take them on and, and pray for them and be a part of their life by your giving. Partner with the Refugees um, Services of Texas that many of our MCs are going to do. Get your MC together and adopt a family and say, hey, let's give. Let's, let's, let's give to this family and make them our mission. Let's help them during this next year as they transition. These are some of the things that we can do in addition to tons and tons more that can be an eternal investment. Jesus challenges us to do that. The thing I like most and actually am most challenged by in this passage is the way that Jesus speaks about the heart. Because the spiritual condition of our heart is directly linked to how we think about and how we use money. You've got to get this. This is why the Bible talks about money so much, because it's not a secular issue. Money is a spiritual issue. That's why Jesus talked about it so much. If we want to grow as disciples, we've got to grow in our understanding of how to use what God has given us. We've got to change our view on money. Think about Zacchaeus. Here's a few examples. In Zacchaeus' story in Luke 11, Zacchaeus is a tax collector. Jesus goes to have a party at his house. In the middle of the party, Zacchaeus says, hey, Jesus, I'm going to give away all the money that I've stolen from people. And, and Jesus' response is, surely this to part with money. House. Jesus measured this guy's spiritual hunger by his willingness to part with money. Or think of the rich young ruler who approaches Jesus and Jesus says, Jesus, what must I do to be saved? And at the end of the conversation, Jesus says, you lack one thing. You need to go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. The man walks away sad. Jesus very directly linked his spiritual condition to his willingness to part with money. Or think of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was out preaching repentance and people were coming to be baptized. And when the people approached him and said, what must we do? He said, tax collectors, stop taking extra money. You soldiers, stop extorting people. So yeah, you want to repent? Okay, here's how it starts. It starts right now with your money. You guys see that the spiritual condition of our heart is, is linked to how we view and use money? That's why the Bible says so much about it, why Jesus talks about it so much. Why he would say, this very hard teaching, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. If God does not have your money, then he doesn't have your heart. It's really true. If God doesn't have your money, then he doesn't have your heart. Money is a way to measure where your heart really is. You know what a thermometer does, right? Thermometer just kind of checks your temperature. Well, money is a good temperature gauge of the things that you care about. Now, don't get legalistic. I'm not talking dollar for dollar. So you look and go, oh, wow, my house payment's my biggest. I guess the house is the most important thing in my life. I'm not talking dollar for dollar. But think about all the discretionary funds that you have. You could realistically look at that and get a pretty good gauge of what your priorities are. And that's what Jesus is saying straight up right here. That the, the way you spend your money is a temperature. It tells us where your heart is. And that's a hard teaching. So for our, just before I took this job, I worked for Campus Renewal for 21 years. And part of what we had for 10 years was a campus house of prayer. And once a semester, we do students pay rent month. I know some of you guys here have actually given to Students Pay Rent Month. And so we tried to raise about $3,000 during one month from the students. And we thought it was good, but they're using this building that we've, that we've got, and we wanted them to invest financially in it too so they're not just taking and using it. And one thing I always noticed, every single semester, there'd be some semesters where like $1,000 would come in instead of $3,000. I'd just be grieved. But I want you to get this. I want you to really believe this because it's true. I wasn't grieved because only $1,000 came in. I could, I could raise the extra money from other people outside of the students. I was grieved because what it was was an indication of the heart of the prayer movement at UT at that time. 
When there were semesters where that $3,000 would come in like that, those were the semesters where, man, God was moving and people were praying and people were meeting God in the prayer room. They were seeking God and doing witnessing on campus. And then whenever we asked for money, it just came in because it's the heart. I wasn't concerned about the money, but it was a, it was a temperature. Sure is there your heart. But here's what's also cool, and I think also what Jesus means about this statement. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. It also means that giving can direct your heart. It's not that it's just a thermometer, it's a thermostat. What's the difference between the two, right? Thermostat is where you set the temperature. It's not telling what the temperature is. You're saying, I want the temperature to be here. And this is what's cool about where your treasure is, there your heart is also. You can actually, through your money, direct your heart. Through your money, you can direct your heart. So someone might walk up to me and say, man, I really wish I had a heart for the homeless. You know what I say? Easy. Start giving to the homeless, start spending time with the homeless, and start praying for the homeless. Your heart will change. Guaranteed. I wish I had a heart for international students. Oh, really? That's easy. Start praying for them. Become a pal or a friendship partner with one. And start buying them meals and providing for them in their apartment and providing them and taking them shopping. Your heart for international students will grow. Your heart can be the thermostat. Through giving, you can change your heart. That's what Jesus is inviting us into. Isn't that awesome? This is spiritual growth. The next hard statement that Jesus makes is that the eye is a lamp of the body. I like the phrase that you become what you behold. If you remember in the, in the, in the illustration there, it's maybe the only slightly confusing part of the passage. Everything else is pretty, pretty clear. But Jesus is saying the eye is the lamp of the body, meaning what you're fixing your gaze on, what you care about most, what you want the most, what you're most excited about, what you would fear to lose, what you can't do without, whatever that is for you, that's going to direct your body. And if the eye is focused on God, the body's full of light. But in this case, given that he's talking about money, if your eye starts to focus on money, if you start to get worried, if you start to collect all your resources and worry about what's going to happen, if you start just spending everything just to try to find pleasure out there, your eye is focused on what's going to make your heart dark. This is why I'm telling you, our, our spiritual lives are directly linked to what we do with money. Because our money speaks to what we want most. And if we want money more than anything else, we're going to lose our spiritual vitality. Remember the passage of the, the parable of the, uh, the soils? Jesus tells a parable of tossing out seeds, and there's four that grow up. One actually gets snatched before it grows up. One grows up and has just a little bit of root, and it dies. Another one grows up pretty good, but then he ends up getting choked out by the weeds. And then another one grows to spiritual fruit and multiplying. When Jesus talks about the one that, that grew up quickly but that ultimately was choked out, he very specifically says it was choked out by the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth. So I don't want you to hear me contradicting myself. I've never said, and I still say, money is not, money is morally neutral. But the pursuit of money will tie you up. God will lead you to horrible places. It will tie you up. You'll start to grow, but it'll choke you out. When you start to worry, when you start to want wealth more than God, it will kill your spiritual life. Back to the way that Paul describes it in 1 Timothy. He says it this way. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires. They plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith 
and pierce themselves with many griefs. Money in and of itself is totally neutral. But if it starts to become what your eye is focused on, it will darken your whole body. Our eye has to be focused on Jesus first. And finally, Jesus makes this last statement, that you cannot serve both God and money. Money can be your master or money can be your servant. That's what great, we get to choose. We get to choose whether money's going to master us and our worries and the things that we want out there in the world. If that masters us and we can't control it, it takes us over. But money doesn't have to be a master. This is what's great. Money can be a servant. We can take money and squash it and use it for the purposes that we want to use it for, for the things that God puts on our heart. We can choose to funnel it for eternal purposes, and it becomes our servant instead of our master. But it's always one of the two because we can't serve God and money. And I'll tell you, money's an awful master. You want to be mastered by money? You want to think about money all the time? It leaves you a slave. It leaves you a slave to fear. It leaves you worried about your security, false promises of security. It keeps you with this false illusion of being in control and wanting to be in control. Having money as your master leaves you empty with false promises of life and prosperity. It leaves you constantly tempted with life being out there somewhere. It's an awful, awful master. You don't want to be mastered by money. You know what's awesome? It's when you make money your servant. When you submit it to the things that God's put on your heart, when you submit it to the eternal treasures, you know what it does? It produces in you a fearlessness because your priorities are set. You know what you want. It leaves you free from all the worries. It leaves you free from vanity. It leaves you free, full of joy of blessing other people and seeing what God does in their lives, full of joy knowing that what you invest in people is eternally significant. And that's what makes it fun to have money as a servant. It's a blast to have money as a servant. And that's what we're trying to do. And while we're talking on money, I wanted to give you guys just a little update on how we're doing here at Midtown Church. It seems like a good time to do so. Um, like I said already, I think I've tried to make the point that you can't talk through the Bible without talking about money. But particularly in this time of year when we're asking you guys to, to do the ministry menu and think about all the ways you want to involve yourself in the church, it seems like a great time too just to give you an update. There's going to be a further update at our annual partners meeting on September uh, 17th. You'll hear more about that in the weeks to come. So there you'll get a full detail of everything that God did in the previous year and what we're hoping for in the year to come. But now I just wanted to give you just a, a little bit of an update because I've got a great thing to report. And I've got one concern and I've got one hope. Here's the great thing to report. This last year, we exceeded our budget of what we hoped. Isn't that awesome? We can thank God for that. And this is really saying something because it, you guys know we merged churches about this time last year. And so behind the scenes, your elders and the staff last August were frantically trying to put together somewhat of a budget from two different systems and ways of doing things. And we were like, man, I don't know if this is going to, what if, what if a bunch of people don't like the merge and they leave? And what do we do? And how do we by faith allocate money towards something even though we're not sure if the money's going to come in? And that has been a journey throughout the year where we've seen it ebb and flow, but ultimately here at the end of the year, we're sure now that we're going to be above budget. We're so, so grateful for that. That's awesome. Great news. The other great news is this next year, we're not done with it, but through the end of August, we're going to finalize the budget. And the great news is we're planning to do more next year than we did this last year, which means more ministry and more opportunities and more serving and more giving. And so we've got great plans to do more than we had this last year. 
in particular, two ways. There's many, but I want to mention two because of the biggest priorities. You're going to hear more about this two weeks from now, so I'm not going to spoil something, but on August 28th, on Sunday morning, we're going to lay out to you guys something that the staff and elders have been working on for months now, a five-year, a three-year, and a one-year vision that we have for the church. It's so awesome. We're so confident in what God's called us into. It's going to be awesome to be a part of this for the next couple years. But to do so, we've got to budget accordingly. And we want to increase giving specifically to church planting. We want to be a church that plants churches just as we were planted. And so we want to give a lot more to that in the years to come. And we also want, you know, in a church this size, it's relatively not normal for us to have five staff people. And we're able to do so because three of the staff raise support from outside the church to be able to do what they get to do. And in the coming years, we want to see them freed from that so that all of our staff are, are supplied from this congregation itself. Those are a couple years down the road, perhaps, but we're seeking God and trusting God and asking Him to do more things. But isn't that awesome that next year we're planning to do more? It's great. There's just more opportunities for us. Now, here, here's my concern. My concern is that uh, the percentage of folks that are giving regularly is, is really low. Now, make a concession statement to say only two people in the church know who's giving what. Obviously, someone has to know because someone has to collect it and deposit it and do all that. We have to have accountability with the two people. Jake and I are not those two people. We don't ever want to know. But we asked some of the, the folks that do know to give us a report recently. And they reported to us that 55% of our partners give on a monthly basis. And we found that to be, like, terribly low. And 10% of our regular attenders give on a regular basis. And I want to take a step back to say that that concerns us. And just like I said it when I was in campus ministry, it doesn't concern me for the money. We've seen God provide. We're sure that he still will. It concerns me for our hearts. Like if, we, if we're really in this together, we've got to be giving. And if there's only 55% of partners and 10% of regular attenders giving on a monthly basis, that seems to indicate something in our hearts that we think is not well. And so... That's our concern. But here's our hope. Our hope is that if that other 45% of, of partners started giving on a monthly basis, if the regular tenders started giving way, way more than 10% on a regular basis, we could easily do what we hope to do next year. Easily. It just takes more of us making a regular commitment to, to give and a sacrifice for the purposes of this church and the vision of its church. And this church isn't all that you should give to. You should give to things and, and apply this generosity to all kinds of eternal investments. But if this is your home church, we want to see the percentage of people giving increase drastically so that we can do way more than we did in this last year. We're confident of that. And I hope that you guys would consider it. I wanted to point to, to one scripture that, at least for me, I find pretty convicting when it comes to the process of giving or the, yeah, really the process of giving. That's the right word. It's in 1 Corinthians 16. Paul says, now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of the week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I'll give letters of introductions to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, then, I, then um, they will accompany me. But the idea here that I'm getting at is there was a, a rhythmic way, a committed way, that Paul was encouraging the Corinthian church to give as he was raising money to take to the church at Jerusalem. So one church raising money for another church in this case. 
but he's telling them, I'm coming to you to collect this, and I think the best thing for you to do is to set aside a certain amount monthly. And that's what we want to ask you guys to do during this next month. As you're praying about the ways that you want to serve and the ways you want to be involved in the ministry of Midtown, we want you to equally pray about what you can give. And it would really challenge you to make like a monthly commitment. It's real easy to do. You can go to the Midtown website and sign up. If you receive the newsletters, there's a little donate button. You can set up online giving just monthly just to get drawn out of your credit card or your debit card. Just a wonderful way. And what it does for the church is it helps us set our budget because then we know what's coming in. We can from month to month say, all right, we think we're about here. And every three months we can assess our budget and say, look, it looks like we're stronger than we thought. This money that we wanted to allocate toward this, let's do it now. We can do it. Things that were on the wish list get moved into the do it list, which is going to be great. That's what I encourage you guys to do in this next month as you consider serving with Midtown and giving toward Midtown. I want to close in this following way, though. When it comes to money, probably one of the biggest things is our fears. Fear sets in, right? Like, if I give, then what about this? Or what about me? And what about this situation? And that tends to eat at our hearts. And if you're to go down to the very next verses after this, so Jesus gives us pretty hard teaching, right? I mean, it's, it's pretty hard. Very challenging. But then right afterward, he comforts his people with this great illustration of how God cares for his people, that he's sovereign and he provides. And not only is he sovereign, he provides, he does it because you are valuable. He cares about you. He gave his life for you. He gave everything for you so we can trust him. If you don't mind, I'd actually like you just to close your eyes. I want to read these verses that follow the same, exact same teaching of Jesus. And I want you to hear Jesus speaking this over you. And then we'll go into communion and take a time, have a time of worship in response. This is Jesus speaking this over you, speaking this over Midtown Church. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat, what you drink, or about your body and what you'll wear. Is not life more than food and body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If this is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Those are Jesus' words to us this morning. As we wrestle with this challenge of how our heart is so integrated with what we do with money, may we take him on his challenge and begin to give more and more to the things that will last in eternity and wrestle with God about what it is he's calling each of us to give to, what things he's given us a passion for, and all the while, may we know that God 
says we're more valuable and he'll care for us and he'll meet all of our needs. We're going to take communion and remember Jesus and his words. We can come forward to the front or to the back. Uh, We ask that if you're one who's put your faith in Christ, that you would be welcome to come and join us. And as you do, just go back to your seats and sit and reflect and spend this time in worship to sing and worship God for his provision and the great things that he's doing in our church. Let's pray. Father, we are challenged by Jesus' hard words, yet we want our souls to be free. We ask that you'd free us from all worry, free us from all materialism. Show us in these coming weeks especially where to invest. Give us new opportunities of things to give inside this church and outside this church and ways to direct resources. And in so doing, breathe new life into us and change our hearts and fill us with joy. In Jesus' name, amen.